turn with me in your Bibles, please, to our second reading, our Old Testament reading, Exodus chapter 17. Verse 1, hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb and thou shalt smite the rock. And there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people, with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, for he said, Because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek, from generation to generation. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. So here we come to Rephidim. Keep in mind that Rephidim is what we call in the ancient Near East uh, a vadi or a wadi. 
A wadi is a creek bed. You can, uh, you can go there today. As a matter of fact, if you go on the internet and look up the rock at Rephidim, what you will see, and many commentators cite this, is you will see this red granite stone that is split right in the middle of it. And then at the base of it, it appears, strangely, that water has run through there. And it is up on a, an elevated portion right above the wadi. Now, I don't want to be dogmatic on this. I'm dogmatic on what the scripture says. What I'm about to tell you is a bit of Pastor Todd's conjecture. But it seems to me that if two and a half million people are going to drink, that when the Lord, it says that he stood upon the rock, and then Moses was to strike the rock, and the water came out of that rock, that really what the people did was they lined themselves up along Rephidim Wadi, and the, and the water came out of the rock and flowed down that short little steep place and filled up the wadi and ran. And the people stood along the wadi and got the water that they needed. That seems to me to be a reasonable interpretation of what the scriptures say here. Okay, so that's, that's you know, a very interesting portion. You can go out on the internet. You can see the rock. It's split in the middle. It's got these water courses at the bottom of it. Obviously, there was water that rushed through there at one time that ate a part of that rock away. Maybe that's the place. Maybe it's not. But if it was the place, that's probably how it took place, that the two and a half million people lined up along the creek bed there and drank when the water came running out of the rock at Rephidim. The word Rephidim... Um, may re- re- refer to, uh, you, do you remember the, uh, the name of God, Jehovah Rapha, which means, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Right? So this may be, in a, in, a, in a kind of Hebrew doubling, the healing waters, if you will, that ran from Rephidim. Again, difficult to be dogmatic on such things, but all of these things are swirling around the comments that you will read from various godly commentators. All right, so keep in mind also that here they are thirsty and they're coming over this rise and there's a, they can see that the land does this, that there's going to be a creek bed there. They're anticipating water and they get there and there's no water. And so that added to their disappointment. They had built up an expectation And when they had that expectation thwarted, that was when they began to murmur and complain. Beloved, there's a great lesson. We get our expectations up in a particular way or other, and when those expectations are not met, we end up murmuring. Rather than anticipating what the Lord will do and how he will do it and resting peaceably in him, because we have right relationship with him through Christ. We anticipate or expect something. And then when our expectations are dashed. That becomes a temptation to murmur. The people murmured. Because they had their expectations. Uh, out, of, out of alignment. They had if. As one pastor of mine used to put it. They had their wanter turned on for something. That never should have been turned on for. Now we might think of water as a pretty basic thing and, and so it was reasonable of them to expect water in the creek bed. That, with that I agree, but with the murmuring we do not. We do not agree that murmuring is ever a good thing 
And as we've heard already, now this is the third time that they have murmured uh, and tempted the Lord. In Numbers chapter 14, the Lord will say, they have tempted me these ten times. And the rabbis were very clear on, on, on those nine times. And then that last one was a double temptation when they were uh, kept from the land at Kadesh Barnea. And so they tempted the Lord ten times in that first year. And in tempting him ten times, he said, You will not come into the land that I have promised your fathers, but your children will come instead. So we remember that uh, murmuring is a wicked sin. Something that the Lord kept his people out of the promised land for. Let's remember that. Um, We call it by different names today. We call it being discriminating. But it's really murmuring. We complain. We want things to be different than they are. We want them to be better, more comfortable, more something. Whereas the Apostle Paul will say, whether I am abased or whether I am, or whether I am in abundance, I have learned the secret of being full and empty, of having all, and so on. All right, so they murmured. Uh, they, they, they did chide with Moses. That's an old English word. It means they made their complaint all too plain to Moses. And Moses got the brunt of it because he was their leader. But Moses will put it in the right context for them. He will say, it's not against me you're murmuring, as he said in the last chapter. Who are Moses and Aaron that you should murmur against us? Rather, it's God. And so all those complaints, they do find their home. They find their home at the, at the foot of his throne, don't they? Okay, so let's remember that as we are tempted often to murmur or to complain. All right, so then Moses cried unto the Lord. And, of course, Moses did the right thing. They cried and murmured unto Moses. Moses cried unto the Lord for a solution. These people are ready to stone me. Uh, I suppose that he is not exaggerating one whit there. Uh, if you take a look at that area... Uh, uh, in and around Mount, Mount Sinai. By the way, that is, when, when we say the wilderness of sin, just remember sin is short for Sinai. It's not sin, although the people were sinning there. It's not the wilderness of sin. It's the wilderness of sin like Sinai. Sinai is, is the longer version. Sin is the short version. Okay, how do we spell Sinai again? S-I-N, right? A-I. So the wilderness of sin is the wilderness of Sinai. All right, and so the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod. Two and a half million people. So the 70 elders of Israel are going to be gathered around the rock with Moses. And the Lord himself will come down upon the rock and make his appearance known, as he had been in times past, in probably what was either a pillar of smoke or fire. And so here he is, Showing that he is still with the people. Notice how the Lord condescends here. And then also he will take the 70 elders so that they will go and teach the people what they saw up close that the people could not get near to see. Those 70 elders are responsible then as leaders of the people to teach them the good truth that they're about to witness. That is that Moses will strike the rock. And when he strikes the rock, what happens? The waters come gushing out. And fill the riverbed and the people drink. Okay, so Moses called the place 
Massah and Meribah, Massah, uh, temptation, and Meribah, murmuring or chiding, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? We'll only remind you what we said last week, which was what? Can the Lord do what he wants with water? Well, they've just come out out of Egypt and seen the water stand up. The Lord can do whatever he wants with water. And yet it is... It is once again about water that they come and and murmur against Moses. We saw last week, right, against the Lord. We we saw last week that not only did uh, did they uh, chuck a, a tree into a bitter fountain and it became sweet, but then they went to another place where there were twelve springs of water, one for each of the uh, of the tribes of Israel. Now. Here they travel in this way to the land of promise and the Lord is sparing them from wars with the Egyptians and the Philistines. And so he takes them this way, but they find a way to murmur. And so the Lord uh, heals them with this flowing water. All right, and let's also make sure we understand the typology of it because remember the rock that followed them was Christ, not some rolling rock that followed them, but wherever they found a need, there was their rock that was with them, Christ. And he manifested the, the, his blessing through uh, this rock that day to remind them that he is their rock and it is out of the rock that those waters flow. And so we, 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 we think of all of those metaphors that the Lord Jesus himself uses about the water of life and so on, right? Uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 7 at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles and so on. Jesus will say, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The woman at the well, he will say, if you knew who it was and the gift of God, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Right? And then the apostle will, will say that the rock that followed them was, was Christ and they drank of the same spiritual drink and they ate of the same spiritual food. But with some of them, God was not pleased they were overthrown in the wilderness all right so then in uh, the rest of the chapter we can hopefully dispatch this pretty briefly in 8 through 16 Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim and so Moses told Joshua choose out men and go fight with them so Joshua is the general of the army he goes out to, to fight notice that that Joshua is already being prepared as Moses' successor, as a leader in, in, uh, in, in Israel. And this is, you know, 40 years before he will take that lead. Right? Yet, he is already being groomed to do that. Uh, we remember that there is indeed a, a succession plan that is necessary for every church, for every assembly. Uh, no man will last forever. And, and it seems that that's what this, the, the, the end of this chapter is particularly about so there are two things that are necessary for us to learn the first is that we need the ministry that God has given to us and yet secondly that we do not trust or rest in that ministry that God has given to us we need that ministry but in that ministry we look through that minister to the Lord Jesus Christ and so ministers may come and go but God and his Christ remains. And so what do we have here? That's the lesson. How is the lesson seen? First of all, in the grooming of Joshua. 
Joshua goes out as the general of the army. Second, in the necessity of them receiving the blessing from Moses while the battle is, is engaged, is enjoined. And so, what do you have? You have Moses and he's holding his hands up on the hill and the people, for their part, that are fighting with Amalek, they could look up to that rallying point, to that banner, if you will, of Moses, the, the minister, the man of God, standing there with his hands up, blessing them in the battle. And while Moses' hands are up, Israel marches forward. But Moses, like every other man, gets weary. And so his hands begun to come down. And so the first thing that they do is they bring him a rock to sit on because he couldn't stand all day. And then second, they, they bring Aaron and her alongside him to help him. They go up to the hill with Moses and they hold up his hands so that the people will recognize it's not the strength of Moses that we fight in, but it's the strength of the Lord. And yet we are, we are in need of a minister, in need of a ministry of the gospel to teach us the good things of God, to bless us in the name of the Lord, to drive us forward, if you will, by the word of God and, and with the truth. And so some, in erring in this, have said, we don't need a minister at all. And others, erring on the other side of the, of the equation, have said, oh, we want to, if you will, worship our ministers. Right? thinking more highly of them than we ought to think. Rather, we should think soberly and yet necessarily of that ministry that God has established in the church. So three movements then, right? Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, and so they are to remember that. But notice the banner that they remember is not Moses' hands were up, but Jehovah Nissi. God is my banner. And so they are to remember that as they had that rallying point of Moses' hands being raised up in the air, he was their banner, if you will, that day, that he was but a minister, and that God truly is their banner. With that then, let's stand and continue praising God in the singing.